0: waiting, hoping, praying. Creation held its breath for the arrival of a rescuer, but the eager anticipation of the elite wouldn't expect the arrival of this kingdom coming, one that wouldn't intensify the ironclad, but instead strike the status quo. A movement meant for more than men, re-envisioning the recipients of the kingdom offer. But this greater beauty battered which should have amazed, offended. A gift meant to receive, refused, betrayed, snuffed out, destroyed. But for only three days, forgiveness fired back at finality, agitating the ash and shaking loose what had for a time completely covered the landscape of the kingdom. Then once and for all, the Risen One rose up and made right redeemed and restored, the radiance of his glory for all eternity and ours.
1: There is a commercial on television right now that I really like. It's about a boy who walks into a lunchroom. I think they're about fifth or sixth grade, and the lunchroom is just full of kids sitting at the tables already. And you can tell by the expression on his face as he's carrying his tray in that he's new to the school, and it's kind of awkward. And he's looking for a place to sit, and he finds this open spot at the end of a long table with a bunch of boys sitting there. He makes his way over there, and the boy sitting closest to the empty spot puts his hand on the table and gives him the look that says, you can't sit here with us. And all of a sudden you see this very rejected look on this boy's face as he kind of takes his tray and goes in search of a place to sit, while the other boys kind of laugh. All of a sudden, you see him. He's found his spot. He's at a table all by himself. Nobody else is around. But there's this girl that has seen what's happened, and she puts everything down, and she gets up, and she begins to move tables, and soon other people are joining her, and when it pans back out, they've actually created this complete rectangle. And that boy who felt forgotten and rejected, he's suddenly sitting between two of the cutest girls in the lunchroom, it ends very well. You're happy for him. He was forgotten. He's found. He was rejected. He's accepted. I've got this notepad on my desk at home, and on the back of it is a really important reminder of why we've got to make sure people understand they're loved and accepted. Here's what it states. It says that the greatest casualty is being forgotten. Forgotten. The greatest casualty is being forgotten. Nobody wants to be forgotten. I wonder how you feel right now. I wonder if you feel kind of forgotten. You know, this whole thing we're going through right now when we're supposed to practice social distancing and when we're supposed to kind of stay holed up in our homes, you know, it can exacerbate feelings of loneliness, especially if you don't have family or friends around. You can begin to feel kind of lonely and begin to wonder, does God know about me? Does anybody know about me? I feel so forgotten. I feel so left behind. See, all of us were created for relationships. Even those of us who are introverts, we also need people. Well, sometimes. But even when things are not complicated, even when things are going well, nobody wants to be forgotten. Nobody wants to feel left out. By the way, what causes that to happen in people's lives? To feel like they don't matter, to feel like they're forgotten. I can think of some things that happen in our society to cause that. Things like racism or religious bigotry. Or not being accepted because you don't look right. Or sexual identity, I'm rejected because of the sexual identity that I have chosen or that I feel that I am. Or maybe it's my socioeconomic status. There are all kinds of reasons why people can feel like they don't matter. Sometimes it's the labels that we've accrued in our lives. And what I mean by that, sometimes it's because of past sins or mistakes or failures in our life. And people label us with that. And we walk around and we start to believe those labels. And pretty soon, we just feel like we have no value even to God himself. Because honestly, a lot of times we assume our value to God based on how people value us. You know, oftentimes it's our fears of others that drive us to lead them alone and to isolate them. And sometimes, honestly, it's just our pride. We compare ourselves to them and we, f- we just feel better than them. So why associate with them? You know, that's why God came in the flesh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel the God who is with us. Jesus came and puts human skin on, so to speak, in order that he might convey to us this mission that he has. And that mission could be summed up this way. I put it like this. Jesus came to say, you have not been forgotten that God is in search of you and he loves you and I've come to reconcile you to him again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is in search of you and that God loves you? He cares very deeply for you. Say, how how can I know that? We're going to talk about that this weekend. How can you know that you matter to God, that you have value in his sight? But I don't want to just talk about how we can know that. I also want to talk to us who already do know that, and I want to challenge us. Is it possible that some of us have become the forgetters? What I mean by that is, I wonder how many of us add to people feeling like they're forgotten because of our fears or because of our pride or because we're so focused on ourselves? How do we get out of that? How do, we, how do we turn that around? Well, to ask that question, we've been moving through our series called Arrived. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke. We've been seeing how Jesus lived out a revolutionary lifestyle that he calls his followers to live that Jesus came to lead that revolution, and he's empowered us by the Spirit of God to continue to lead that revolution till he calls us home, or he returns. And as we've been going to the Gospel of Luke, I'm just picking out certain themes that help us understand that revolution. And so we come to this whole theme of God searching for us, this whole theme of being reconciled to him, of not being forgotten by God, and to a story found at the end of Luke chapter 7. Now, I have to warn you ahead of time that you're going to meet some characters in the story that you may like or dislike, and one in particular who you may really not like at all. And in all honesty, if you were living in that scene, you would probably be one of the people like me who would make her feel very forgotten and very unacceptable even to God. She's the kind of person that you wives who are listening to me would tell your husband, I want you to practice social distancing with her, not six feet, but six miles. And then you parents would warn your sons, don't ever walk down that street where she lives. And you would pray that your daughter would never turn out to be anything like her. And then you're going to meet a guy, we're going to find out his name is Simon, and uh, if he was a Bible study leader, I'm guessing that most of us at Wooddale Church, at least, would be sitting on the front row taking copious notes because, wow, does he know God's Word. And in fact, if he were a pastor, I'm sure he'd be pastoring a fundamentalist church, and they would be claiming that they are God-centered and Word-centered. Their lives converge at a banquet that Simon actually is hosting in honor of Jesus, but he doesn't honor Jesus at all. In fact, Jesus isn't honored until this gal shows up. Now I want to set the scene for you. It's at Simon's house, and Simon and Jesus and the other guests that have been invited, they are actually sitting in what's called a triclinium, which is basically three tables, very low lying to the ground. And there would be pillows arranged around the table. And what happened is that people would generally lean with their left hand on the pillow and eat with the right hand because the left hand was considered unclean. And their feet would be extended from behind them. Because I know you've missed my drawings. Not being here, I thought I'd bless you with some drawings. But you can imagine The feet extending from the individuals around the table like this, all right? Now it's important for you to kind of get that picture in your mind because it plays into the story that we're about to look at, all right? So with that in mind, let's actually start the story. Let's look at what it says in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home." And sat down to eat. Now you might be asking yourself, what is a Pharisee doing inviting Jesus to dinner? I thought the Pharisees couldn't stand Jesus. Well, a lot of them didn't like Jesus because he didn't fall in line with them, but there were some like Simon that, well, they held out some hope for Jesus. After all, Jesus was very unique, he was powerful in his speaking and his miracles that he did. Maybe he's even a prophet. And perhaps Simon wanted to reform Jesus a little bit. Perhaps he looked at Jesus as a a young, kind of inexperienced rabbi. He does call him teacher. And maybe what Simon was hoping to do is to kind of mentor Jesus into what it really means to be a spiritual leader of Israel. Anyway, he wanted to kind of interrogate Jesus and find out who Jesus really was and what Jesus was really up to. Now watch what happens. Verse 37 tells us, When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, notice the past tense. It's something that she's already heard. She already has a sense about who Jesus is. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wow, that took a lot of chutzpah for her to just show up and interrupt this this banquet, but not really. See, back in those days when a banquet like that would be held, the doors would be left open. And people from the street could literally wander in and just kind of sit in the background around everybody's feet and just kind of listen to what was being talked about. You and I can't even imagine that in our culture today. But was kind of the norm in those days. And for people who were poor, they would just kind of stay there until the meal was done. And whatever was left, they would then eat it and be fed. So it's not unusual that she shows up. It might be unusual that she showed up. Because more than likely, as scholars agree, she was probably a local prostitute in town. And there she is. And you wonder to yourself, why, why, has, this, why has this woman shown up? Well, remember I told you she had heard about Jesus. Jesus. And I believe, as uh, Kenneth Bailey, a Middle East scholar, biblical scholar says, and some others, that she'd already had an encounter with Jesus. Not necessarily a direct encounter, like a conversation, but she already experienced his power and his grace in her life. It's very possible. I mean, Luke chapter 15, verse one, Luke chapter five, verse 30, and other passages in the Gospels tell us that sinners and tax collectors, it says in Luke 15, one, often drew near to him. Those who were most forgotten by the religious leaders, men like Simon, felt attracted to Jesus. They felt like he'd actually come looking for them, and so they felt very welcomed by him. I wonder how the forgotten people of our culture feel when they're around you and me. When they hear about Whitdale Church, they feel attracted and and welcome to be among us Around us, or do they feel kind of repelled by what they've heard about us or how we've treated them? These kind of folks were very attracted to Jesus. And I'm guessing that somewhere along the line, this woman heard Jesus, watched Jesus, and put her faith in Jesus. It's not that unusual. We're going to meet later on in Luke, if you keep reading with me, you're going to meet a woman who had been bleeding her whole life. Talk about forgotten. She had this issue of blood that rendered her unclean. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go to the synagogue. People would have avoided her, so they didn't become unclean. But she happened to be in a crowd one day when Jesus was ministering and walking by, and she believed by faith that if she just touched the hem of his garment, she would be healed. Somehow, through that crowd of people, she managed to get her hand in there and touch the hem of the garment, and instantly she knew that she had been healed. And Jesus spoke up and said, who just touched me? His disciples said, how can you ask who just touched you? Look at the crowd around you. He said, nope, I felt power go out of me. Who just touched me? And she knew she'd been found out. And it says she came trembling before Jesus. Trembling, probably wondering, what's going to happen to me now? I stole some of this power. Is he going to be mad at me? Is he going to reject me? And if you read that passage of Scripture, Jesus delighted with her. He says, daughter, you have faith. You're, you, know, you are healed. Go in peace. Think about all the people who heard Jesus that never actually spoke to Jesus that had their hearts and lives changed by Jesus. And I have a sense that this woman had already experienced something of a change in her life. And she's showing up with her little flask of very rare and expensive perfume as a thank offering to Jesus. As an expression of her gratitude and joy for what he has done in her life. Now, let's go back to the story. It says, Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. You know, when I when I used to read that passage of scripture, I I thought it was an, an act of repentance that she was weeping and kissing and washing, hoping that he would forgive her, but I've come to look at it much differently. See, I think that when she came, her only intention was just to anoint him as an experience and expression of thanksgiving with the hope that he would affirm and confirm his acceptance and forgiveness of her. But something else is going on here. Because she ends up washing his feet with her hair, with her tears, and anointing those feet. And I can tell you why I think that happened. If we move ahead in the passage a little bit further, we find this out. It says, then he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. In other words, she's standing there, and she's watching this whole thing take place, and she realizes that Simon has dishonored Jesus. He hasn't shown him the common Middle Eastern courtesy of greeting him properly, if at least having the lowest slave in the house wash the dust off Jesus' feet, anoint his head with the olive oil to refresh him, and his hands would have been done, and to kiss him on the side of the face. I have a Palestinian friend who lives in Jericho, and whenever I go to Israel, I try to see him. And as soon as he sees me, the first thing he does is he grabs me, and he kisses me on one side, kisses me on the other side, and I kiss him back. It's customary. Simon might have been interested in Jesus, but it's kind of a a backhanded slap at Jesus that he shows no courtesy at all. It's as though Simon has forgotten who Jesus really is. She hasn't. She knows who Jesus is. At least she has a sense because of something that's happened to her in her interfacing with him and his teaching. And so what she does is she just takes up where where Simon should have. Now she can't get to Jesus' head and she can't get to his hands because remember, he's laying there at the table. The only thing she can get to are his feet She she begins to weep. Now, is the weeping because of her remorse, because of her sinfulness, perhaps? Or is her weeping? Weeping because she sees that the one who truly emanates love and acceptance is being rejected by the one who should know better. Nobody knows who Jesus is. So she weeps and... She falls to her knees and her tears cascade off her face and on his feet and she lets her hair down because there's no rag to use. And she takes her hair and she is washing his feet and she's kissing his feet, not his face, but his feet over and over again. Jesus, you are accepted. Jesus, you are welcomed into my life. I give you honor, the honor that Simon should have been giving. We move on in this story. We come to verse 39. Listen to what it says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, it's like he's reached his conclusion, (laughs) Jesus is no prophet. He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a known sinner. You know what, Jesus knew he knew her past. He knew her current condition. And he knew what her future was. Now He knew what was going on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that, that this woman got caught up in the drama of Jesus' suffering. And that is why she wept, and that is why she washed, and that is why she kissed. But Simon couldn't see it at all. And Jesus knew that. He knew what was wrong with Simon's heart. And so Jesus proceeds to expose Simon. We go back to the story and it says, Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I know what you're thinking, Simon. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither then could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. It's a simple story. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, look, two men owed money. One had a large amount. The other had a small amount in comparison. Look at this woman. She has a huge rap sheet compared to Simon. I mean, compared to Simon, his list is pretty small. But they are both sinners, and they both owe, and they both have to pay. Spiritually speaking, they both deserve death and judgment and condemnation. But God in his infinite goodness offers forgiveness to both. She recognizes the debt that she owes. She's thankful for the forgiveness. Simon can't see the debt that he owes. In fact, if anything, God owes him and those like him because of how hard they try to keep the law and how much better they are than others. You know, we go back to the text. It tells us that her sins, I tell you, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, Simon. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I affirm, I confirm with you, woman, that your sins indeed have been and are forgiven. Now, this what Jesus teaches Simon and teaches us, is this, that those who know how sinful they are and how much they've been forgiven, they're capable of loving so much. What I don't want you to think in this story is that somehow her tears her expensive and generous gift to that perfume and her kissing of the feet earned her forgiveness. No, 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 no. The reason she does all that is because she's experienced the forgiveness and it's the forgiveness that compels that love in her heart and in her life. That's how God works in us. I cannot earn God's love and God's grace and neither can you. Her love grows out of knowing that we are loved and forgiven by him. Tim Keller has a saying that I really like. He says, if you don't see yourself to be a terrible sinner and a completely forgiven sinner, he says, you will not be able to love people or life like someone as she. Man, that's important. If I don't at once recognize what a terrible sinner I am, And what a forgiven sinner I am. I'm not going to love people the way Jesus loved her, the way she loved him, the way we ought to love others. It all has to do with how much we know we're forgiven. What's the key as you're sitting there, perhaps feeling kind of lonely and depressed and... Separate from everyone else. The key is to overcome it by just focusing on the gift of forgiveness that God has given you in Christ. Marveling in that. And God sees you and me as though we have never sinned. He sees us in the perfection of his son. It doesn't get better than that. And what a joy you and I have to go and convey that to others as well. You know, we keep reading as we conclude the story. And it says, the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus doesn't even pay attention to them. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. And I want you to pay attention to this. He says, go in peace. That's not a very good translation. If you translate it literally, and it's just too awkward for our English, so they don't do it what it really says is go into peace. He says to that woman, you're forgiven. Now I want you to go into peace. In other words, I want you to go discover all this peace and its benefits for you. I want you to revel in it. I want you to delight in it. I want you to enjoy it. Absorb it into your heart and into your life. See, how can I move into that kind of peace? I'm a follower, but I I don't have that kind of peace. I want to suggest to you there are two things you need to do, and I want to reach back in the story to two things that happened. Let's talk, first of all, about that perfume that she brought. And that she used and anointed the feet of Jesus with. You know, Jewish women would oftentimes wear that little flask around their neck. And for a woman like that, that flask, that flask was her power. That flask represented her attractiveness, her desirability. When she takes it and she breaks it open, and pours it out. It's as though she is saying to Jesus, I'm pouring out on you now what has been my identity. You are now what makes me attractive. You are now what makes me desirable. You are now the one who completes me. I don't need anybody else ever again. What's your identity this weekend? What's your identity? What have you bound up your value in? We talked about that in our January series. Whatever it is that you're depending on to give you a sense of worth and value, can you bring that and break it, so to speak, over the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm giving this identity up to you. I'm giving up my my sense of power to you. I'm giving up my sense of success to you. I'm giving up my past labels to you. I'm giving up my failures to you. I'm just putting it all there, Jesus, at your feet. And I want to accept your forgiveness. I want to accept my identity in you. I want to accept my value in you. Let's talk about her hair. In that day, a woman never let her hair down in public. It meant you were a prostitute. It meant that You were not behaving properly, that you were loose, that you were open. A woman would only let her hair down when she was in the confines of a room with just her husband, like the bedroom, and nobody else was around. Then she would let that hair down, and it was a symbol, it was a sign of vulnerability, it was a sign of intimacy when a woman lets her hair down and shakes her head, it's a sense of saying, I'm open. When she lets her hair down and she washes his feet, she becomes very vulnerable to Jesus. And the vulnerability is, will you accept me? Will I be accepted by you? Notice Jesus doesn't jerk his feet back, doesn't kick her in the face, doesn't rebuke her, but he accepts her. He accepts this prostitute. And now she knows the value that she really has. Someone has said that by giving up power, she got power. And by surrendering to Jesus, she found that she never again will ever have to surrender to anyone else. Let's pray. Father, as we think about this story, I pray and ask for anyone listening who has ever felt forgotten, who feels forgotten, that they would know that you came just for them, that you forgive them, that you love them, that you heal them, that you make them whole. And Father, I pray for those of us who may be guilty of making others feel forgotten by our attitudes or our behaviors toward them, that you would forgive us, that it would become our mission to join you in this revolution, to seek out those who are sitting at the lunch table by themself, and Help them realize how much they matter. And that Jesus accepts them and loves them. Lord, give us grace. Give us grace to be like you, to be completed by you. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. God bless you, and I look forward to being with you next weekend.